Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Rise, Kill, Eat podcast. If you are a returning listener, thank you for coming back. I'm glad you like what you're hearing. Go ahead and subscribe to us. Give us a rating here on iTunes so we can get this thing going. If you are a first-time listener, then thank you for taking the time to listen to the Rice Kill Eat podcast. The Rice Kill Eat podcast is a show for anybody who loves God, freedom, and the great outdoors. We talk about hunting. We talk about a little bit of everything involving the outdoors. And we just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. Now, today I have a great show lined up for you. I had a good conversation with a good buddy of mine, uh, Tony Dempsey. He's shared a lot of his insights on bow fishing, uh, his vast knowledge of bows, um, a little bit of everything, really. And uh, it, it was a really good conversation. I think you're going to enjoy our our talk today. So make sure you stick around and listen to that. Again, leave us a rating if you like what you like what you're hearing. That way we can get the momentum going. Now, one quick announcement before I start the show here this weekend. Coming up on Memorial Day, this weekend coming up on Memorial Day, we will be having a sale on the RKE Afield website, and that's rkeafield.com, R as in rice, K as in kill, E as in eat, afield.com, and we will be having 20% off on all of our apparel items, all of our hats, and anything on the website. So that's 20% off. All you need to do is use the promo code MEMORIAL. All right, so that's M-E-M-O-R-I-A-L, MEMORIAL. Use promo code MEMORIAL. You will take 20% off of your order. So thank you guys for, for checking us out. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook. Make sure you just check out RKE Afield. And I hope you enjoy today's show. we got a good one lined up for you, so stick around. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Doing good, man. How are you? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Thank you for taking the time to, to come on here. I appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Anytime. So, you, are you feeling any better? Yeah, I feel a little bit better. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I, the allergies have definitely been, they've been killing me, too, here lately. I don't know what it is, but something has bloomed, and it is a... Uh, it's it's trying to kick my butt. So uh, you said you set up at the shop. Yeah, I'm sitting out here in the shop. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah. Do some of my taxidermy work on the side. I got you. Okay. How how long have you been doing that taxidermy? Uh, this probably makes about many years that I've been doing it. And when I started, it, of course, I just started as a hobby. Well, you, you do some things as a hobby, and then the next thing you know, you've got everybody wanting to do pieces for you. You know, digger for you and everything else, and then it becomes yeah, that's how you know you're doing doing well at it. I guess, I guess, but uh, I'm going to have to back off of it just due to some allergies and things that uh, I've developed over time, and, uh, so I'm going to have to step away from it once I get things caught up and get finished here. I got you, yeah. So do you do just deer, or do you do, I mean, what kind of taxidermy do you typically work on? Well, of course, here in Owen County, you know how it is, it's mostly deer. I've done several elk, bobcats, I've done antelope, mule deer. So, uh, what are your uh, suggestions on somebody that's wanting to, you know, cape out a deer? They sh- shoot a nice buck. How about how far down would you go if they're if they're wanting to to cape a deer for taxidermy purposes? Go, uh, go mid body and make your 
your cups around the animal. If you're not sure how to make your cups on the back of the legs to be able to get the legs out, a lot of people just kind of tube skin those out, cut around the knee, so you got plenty of material there, plenty of cake. Yeah. Uh, it runs down the lane. Work your way up and leave about four inches of the neck and cut it off right there through the meat and the bone and uh, just take care of it. Keeping it clean is so very important. Right, keeping it cool. Uh, getting it cooled down as quick as possible. Yeah. You know, get, it in a, get it in a freezer as soon as possible. Just taking care of it. Is you know, if you've got a trophy that you've hunted hard for and you want that to be preserved for a lifetime, then it's got to be well taken care of and, and treated as such. Right, absolutely. So, besides taxidermy nowadays, what are you? Where? What are you doing for for a living? Oh well, uh, for full time, uh, of course, uh, I was recently retired back in 2017. I retired for uh, only two months from my previous job, where I was a safety manager at Electric Cooperative, and um, now I took a job with what is our statewide association? It's called Kentucky Electric Cooperatives. And I'm a safety instructor for the various cooperatives uh, around the state of Kentucky. So uh, just like this week, I've been doing CPR first aid training for uh, for Bluegrass Energy based out of Nicholasville. Go around teaching different safety courses and that kind of thing? Right, that's correct. If anyway, how has your career, how has it helped you with hunting? I mean, developing relationships with different people, landowners, that kind of thing. So how's your career helped you in any ways as far as your your hunting well what you said like the relationships is the big thing you know i've met so many people just around the state of kentucky and all over the country that you know we have a couple of interests uh, and, you know the passion of hunting and you get to talking you get to talking about hunting with a bunch of linemen and then you just you just open up uh, the discussion you kind of break the with them getting talking and then they're all interested in what you do and you share pictures and things like that and then the next thing you know um, you, you make friends and you're connected with each other on social media they're inviting you to go hunting maybe maybe a make connection with a, a young man down in Florida that he said down there he said they got all kinds of homes I haven't made it down there yet but he says man you want to go down come on he said I can hook you up and uh, so you know just things like that and of course with the job too, it, it allows you to be able to afford to do what you do. You know, uh, so I've been very blessed to to have you know some, uh, a great job for the past thirty three years. At hog hunting, it looks pretty pretty crazy, pretty fun. And of course, you can't uh, you can't beat you know fresh fresh pork. <laughs> right. Yeah. I went uh, I went to a preserve type hog hunt one time down in Tennessee. I did that, and that was enjoyable. But you know, those weren't free range hogs. I would like to give that a try sometime down south. Maybe take a couple of pigs with the uh, with the bow. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you do uh, most of your hunting nowadays with a with a bow? I would say probably most of it, but I'm you know I still enjoy I enjoy the Kentucky gun season for deer. I still I, I enjoy going to Ohio and hunting deer during deer gun season, which I don't use a slug gun. I use a muzzleloader. But I'm you know I I support all ethical and legal means of hunting. I mean, Whatever's most efficient. You know, you talk about gun season and, and opening, opening day here in Owen County, gun season, I think that's just tradition right there. It's a, just a, a different feel to it. You know? Absolutely. That that night before getting everything ready, you know, it, it almost feels like Christmas Eve or something. Right. Call it the, the orange army hitting, hitting the woods. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> yeah, going back to the, the hog hunt, I know that down south, like especially down in Texas, I know a lot of different ranches and farms and that kind of thing. They can have quite a big, uh, you know, agriculture impact because hogs are coming in, you know, tearing up the tearing up the land, digging up crops and that kind of thing. You know, they, I, I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but they're saying that, you know, over the next, you know, how many, however many decades they think it'll take that hogs will be expanding their way up further north as, you know, as populations grow and that kind of thing. It's just, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, they reproduce at just such a high rate. I mean, if you think about a, a sow that will have, I mean, two litters a year and, and still have, what, 10 to 12 pigs in a litter. So that's, that's a pretty high reproduction rate there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, how did you first get into hunting? Who who introduced you to hunting? You know, just like most kids, um, and growing up here in the country, uh, growing up here on the farm, uh, out in the rural community, um, my dad actually got me started, you know, at a young age. Something he never would let me and my brother have was a BB gun. And it always kind of made me mad because all my friends had a BB gun. And I'm like, why won't you let us have a BB gun? He said, well, because most kids don't respect what a BB gun could still do to a person as far as, you know, somebody getting their eye put out or, you know, things like that. Um, so we never had a BB gun, but when we got of age, he started, you know, letting us shoot the 22 rifles, teaching us how to shoot. That's something also my grandfather did a lot with us, um, shooting the 22 rifles. He had yeah, 22 Stevens crack shot, which was a falling block single shot rifle. And that was just our favorite to shoot. But Dad got started. He, uh, once we shot the 22s for a while, you know, and, you know, got proficient with that. Then he, uh, he bought us a single shot 20 gauge that me and my brother shared between us. And, uh, he got me into going out squirrel hunting and, uh, would take me out, teach me how to squirrel hunt, what to look for and, you know, what kind of trees that they were going to So that uh, still hunting, it's uh, it's one of those things that when things are going good, 
you know, it's going good. But you you know, you just never know. As soon as you know, you could come around a corner and bump something that you didn't even know was there. It's just it's uh, it's definitely a skill, and it takes a lot of practice, a lot of patience, and reading everything that's going on around you. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you were saying that uh, there weren't many deer back then. I think a lot of uh, like what we got going on right now with our, you know, our booming deer populations, everything's going pretty well. We got it pretty well managed. I think that we are kind of in the, right now we're in the good old days of, of deer hunting. Yeah, uh, the big change that I've seen over the years, you know, there, were a, there was a time that I believe we probably had more deer per acre, but now I think we have a whole lot better quality of deer. Uh, and to me, that's a lot more important. There was a time back in probably... Probably the late 90s, we had too many deer, honestly. Things have a way of balancing things out, things out in nature, just like with the, uh, the EHD that hit here pretty hard. Yeah. Probably about seven, eight years ago. I hate to say it, but honestly, it, it probably it, it improved our herd by that. Yeah, it's almost like a biological reset button. We had a pretty bad yeah. batch of it come through last, last year around here. And uh, we're, st- yeah, we're still finding all kinds of dead deer and that kind of thing around. But uh, yeah, like I said, back in the back in the seventies, late seventies, and then uh, up in the eighties when I was really getting involved more with deer hunting on my own thing, there just weren't that many deer. I probably started bow hunting when I was fifteen years old. I didn't kill my first deer with a bow until I was about nineteen, twenty. Yeah, that's talk about some serious patience there. Working on it for what four or five years. Man. <laughs> yeah. So that's something I kind of had to learn on my own and pick up some stuff from friends that, uh, that knew how to set up those, mm-hmm. uh, how to tune them, you know, how to change your hunting tactics to where you can get closer to the deer, you know, for that shot. And back then, deer season, bow season didn't start until October 1st. And we weren't, we weren't allowed to bait for deer like we are nowadays. Mm-hmm. So things were just, you know, they were a lot different. You just had to go do it old school. Trial and error. Just get out there and get it done. So speaking of getting it done, how did this uh, this past year's deer season go for you in the fall? Well, it, it wasn't great. But, I mean, you know, you kind of get out and hunt. And, you know, uh, I got to spend quite a bit of time in the woods. So, yeah, it was a successful season. I got to spend a lot of time in the tree. I didn't have anything really that that I was wanting to go after, no shooters per se, uh, that I was really wanting to get after and hunt. Uh, didn't have any evidence of anything on trail camera, and that's a problem with trail cameras because a lot of times if you don't have no camera, then that keeps, you know, it keeps you from going out and hunting. But I didn't have any big mature deer that I wanted to go after. A little later, I had a, a buddy that uh, on his farm, I filmed him killing his buck, which was 161 inch. Still a good deer.
He had a main eight-point frame, and didn't even run a brown town on his last beat. So he was one that I really didn't want in the herd back there during the breeding. I used my tag on him and harvested that deer. He was a little older deer, too, so I donated that deer to uh, Punish the Hunter. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great program that uh, I've actually looked into quite a bit. That's great. So uh, how about turkey season? How turkey season go for you? I, I was kind of following you uh, along uh, on Instagram and Facebook and that kind of thing, and it looked like it did, went pretty pretty decent for you. Yeah, turkey season is something. Uh, turkey's what I'm really passionate about. I just love turkey hunting. I always have. I just like the interaction with them. The season went really well. Opening day, I thought I was going to bow hunt for them this year, and I was going to see how the birds were handling, how they were deported out. And uh, I went the first day, the first morning, didn't really have any uh, hunted one um, farm down the road here. And then I said, well, I'll hunt back behind the house here in the evening. Got set up in that line and had a little action and actually worked uh, a pair of long beards into me. Uh, they kind of hung out, out away from the decoys at about 30 yards. And, and I just, I was hoping to get closer, but I went ahead and took that shot uh, at 30 yards. And uh, I was using the new, uh, it's called the Interlock Cartridge. Uh, you'll see some more about that advertised here you know, throughout the year. Yeah. It's brand new, it's just been released. But shot him with that broad head and he did a real good job. Uh, shot that bird. I said, opening day, he's just a good two year old bird, uh, about a 10 inch beard. You know, probably, uh, you know, I didn't lean, but probably a 20 pound bird. Yeah. Uh, the following week, uh, the following week, I just I didn't hunt much because I had a friend of mine come in to pitch again and his son were coming in, uh, Kelly Runyon and Eli Runyon. They were going to come in and hunt with me for a few days. So I said, you know, I can use my second tag because I'd like to kill a bird with those guys. And uh, we hunted for a couple of days, and Eli had an opportunity on a bird, and later, for what we thought was a good shot, uh, but his bow, we never could find that bird. I don't know if he hit him a little low. Uh, what that was, but you know, that's part of Bella. That's just yeah. that's part of it. It just happens. But um, we hunted a few days and we had some real good experiences. We had Kelly and I, we had a pair birds uh, that hung up on us and they were at about 55 yards. We just didn't feel good about taking that marginal range shot. I feel confident we could have killed the birds, but we were trying to get them in closer. You know, we like to get the birds 40 and under just for a more ethical <laughs> shot. Those, those birds ended up working away from us. Well, the next morning, Billy got sick, had a bad migraine headache going on. He wasn't able to make it back over to my place that morning. So anyway, I headed out myself uh, that morning by myself, and I worked up on the same ridge that those birds went away from us on. And they were coming back, coming back the opposite direction, and I killed one of those birds at 7.30 that morning. Yeah, so I killed him with a gun, though. I just went out with a shotgun there and running and got him. Because the birds just weren't decoying up real good, you know. Mm-hmm. It's enough for, for the way I like to bow on But uh, it's a great season here in Kentucky. And then about a week after that, uh, I made a, just a short trip one morning to Ohio. And uh, hunted a farm up there that's around the New Richmond area, pretty close to the Ohio River. farm I've never been on before is about almost a 300-acre farm. Then a, a, a friend of a friend got me into, got the opportunity to hunt that. Went in there, didn't really hear anything going on in first light. I said, well, I'll just I'll work out this bridge here, this old road, and, and kind of see if I can get something that'll answer me. And uh, I went about 
200 yards and making some calls, and I had a bird edge me. Uh, he worked his way up to an open field and then came in on that road that I was on. Uh, it was like an old farm equipment road mm-hmm. through the woods. And I uh, killed that bird at 15 yards from the shotgun at 8 a.m., so can't beat that. Can't beat that at all. Absolutely not. So somebody that's uh, hunted, because I've never hunted turkeys with a bow. I've seen it done quite a bit, and I know a lot of guys that, that do it, and they're successful at it. And what is the, well, obvious, besides the obvious, what are some of the fundamental differences between hunting a turkey with a bow and with a shotgun? Well, of course, you have to aim small. Yeah, and, and just getting them in that more effective range is just critical. Uh, it, it's great. No, because you get the hunt out of a blind. I mean, that's the most effective way. And that's for bow hunting, just so you can draw your bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know guys have done it in the past, out in the open, out in the woods, uh, but they just have to pick their spots and get behind a tree that's big enough to where if they have that bird coming, they can draw uh, back behind that tree and then lean out and take the shot. Uh, but me, I like using the blind. Uh, I've got three different blinds I'll set up in various spots, different colors. And, um, you know, I'll just see what the birds are doing, which ones are vocal, get my decoys set up. And I like setting my decoys up close. I mean, those birds are not afraid of those blinds like a deer is. Yeah, it's almost uh, like a set, big blurry blob almost. Yeah. You can set one of those blinds up in an open field and those turkeys will just march right on into it. Uh, but, you know, when I first started uh, bow hunting them years ago, I was actually using the goblet guillotine a lot. So I was using it as a four-inch wide six-blade head mm-hmm. that had straight blades on it that, you know, you use for head neck shots. So I would set the decoys up at like five yards. And that's just great. I mean, because you know then, I mean, you hit the bird, you kill him. You miss the bird, no big deal. It's not going to be injured. You're going to go about his way. Uh, as far as a body shot, just a conventional broadhead or uh, an expandable broadhead, just getting that shot that broadside shot through that wing is, you know, that's optimum. You know, frontal shots and you know, frontal shot, you might mess the beard up a little bit, but... Uh, Turkey's down you know, either way. But, you know, it's just a lot smaller kill area, as you can imagine. Takes a lot more practice, I'm sure. <laughs> and, you know, with that shotgun, you've got all those pellets now. Uh, nowadays, they're really pushing the big, the TSS loads, which are the tungsten load, and talking about how much range you get out of those, and, but... I'm sorry, I'm not paying ten dollars a shell for those things. They're like fifty dollars a box is what those things. But uh, you know, they are very effective. You know, so it's 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 whatever you want to hunt with. I mean, some guys don't mind paying it. Me, I just like to get the birds close, you know. Yeah. Like I said, the bird in Ohio. The bird in Ohio, there was a lot of vegetation growing up there, you know, the spring had been been here for a while, so the grass had done a lot of growing by that time that I went up there because their season opens uh, about a week or two later than ours. You know, I couldn't even see that bird until he was at about uh, probably 25 yards. And then I saw him at 15 with a shotgun. Um, I just, I like getting them in close. I don't want to have to shoot a bird at 60, 70 yards. But whatever works for that hunter. Absolutely. As long as, you're, uh, as long as you're equipment will do that. So what's it like being able to, you know, hunt across state lines? You, you said you were hunting in ohio quite a bit and obviously here in kentucky so having that option of two states to hunt in what's that what's that like to be able to do that it's just a great opportunity to have that you know just like in turkey season being able to tag out here and uh 
just harvesting the turkey or the deer. It's just about being out while the season is going on because, you know, you're just limited to that season. And so it just maximizes your opportunities to get out in the woods and woods and experience it. You know, talking about making connections, he and I hit it off years ago. It was kind of ironic. I was, you know, here I was a safety manager at the electric cooperative here in the county. Just so happens Mark was a, a safety guy uh, for the DuPont company up in Circleville, Ohio. So, you know, we, we kind of hit it off because we had that problem. We've just been real good friends ever since. And like I said, he comes down here and hunts, and I go up there and hunt. And I stay at his place. And he stays here. He likes to camp out here in the shop on a mattress in the wintertime. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Rough it. There we go. It's just, it's just great to just have that opportunity. And um, actually, me and, and uh, my buddy Kelly and his boy Eli, we're, uh, we're going to Colorado in September also. That would be fun. You're going to go uh, on an elk hunt? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like a good time. just posted those elk results and i didn't get it either unfortunately <laughs> uh shoot it's been a while i don't i don't know i think this is my this is my third year i think i've put in for it and i'm over three so far but keep on going one of these days we'll get it <laughs> So uh, this summer, do you plan on doing any kind of any kind of bow fishing? Uh, it's that's the Murphy plan. 
How did you first get into into bow fishing? Because I've seen like kind of similar with uh you know people bow hunting with tur- with turkeys. I've seen it done, and I but I don't know a whole lot of people that actually do it. So how did you get into bow fishing? Blame him for it, right? specific reason to i guess approach the the asian carp is it just the you know just try to eradicate them or limit the numbers or what's the what's the purpose on that one Yeah. Eating down. But the, the, the grass carp are not a real, they're, not, they're just not. 
not a real high producer, you know, a weak producer like the Silvers are. Uh, the Silvers are what has really taken over Kentucky Lake. In that area down there, the Cumberland, the Tennessee River. And there's even a lot in the Ohio River and the Kentucky River. But they're just so plentiful that you can, you can hunt those and you just, you just might see those fish anywhere. Yes, sometimes you can even get them to jump too. Uh, we've had them jump right up in front of us. I mean, my platform is up on my front of my boat and we're probably standing about three and a half feet above the water on that platform and then I'm six foot two. Yeah. I've had silvers jump up even with my eyes, you know. Holy cow. Absolutely. Man, it's like flying missiles almost. fish. Absolutely. <laughs> Can't go wrong with the deep fryer. So uh, what are some of the challenges to bow fishing? I know you have to deal with, you know, different angles of light. You know, the, the water itself is going to give a certain angle. So what kind of challenges do you find with someone who is wanting to get into bow fishing? What kind of challenges would they face, especially initially? Uh, when they first go out, it all depends on the depth of the fish and the distance and the angle. 
uh, the other challenge for me, you know, getting older is the late nights. <laughs> yeah. Most of the most of the real good fishing, of course, is after dark, uh, and sometimes I'll be out there until midnight on a weeknight, and then have to get up and go to work the next morning. Or on a weekend, on a Friday, Saturday nights, we might be out until three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. When we're, when we're shooting tournaments, we're out there from a tournament will start at say five thirty p.m. and run all the way until seven a.m. Oh yeah, that's a that's a yeah, long time. So that's that's a challenge too for me now, but uh, but it's just man, it's so enjoyable. Like I said, it's, it's so addictive that uh, I just I just keep going back for more. Yeah. So the bow fishing tournaments are those are those you know set up similar to how a bass fishing tournament would be, where you just basically take the weight of you know however many fish you take whoever has the highest weight you know you go from there rank them up from there yeah that's pretty much it um some tournaments have a limit on how many fish you can bring in other tournaments they have what they call maybe a big 10 or a big 20 so they'll have different different payouts so if you bring in the 10 10 biggest fish you may win that part of the of the prize money uh if you bring in maybe you bring in the most number fish the highest number of fish total then you would win another portion uh, of prize money that's a payout in that tournament uh these tournaments we're going to be fishing one of them is a big 20 uh that's the one uh, that's the muzzy classic in july and then the cajun eight they call it the cajun eight because it's the eight fish tournament so it's the eight biggest fish and then they give individual awards for like the biggest gar the biggest silver um the, the biggest fish overall and the biggest grassy, things like that. So they have different divisions, just depending on the species of fish. That's, that's pretty neat. That sounds like a pretty neat little setup. Sounds pretty fun. Yeah, it is. It's, it's real fun. You know, and it's, you know, it's, uh, you got to really be thinking about what you're going after, you know, because of how many fish that you're going to be weighing in. And you know, you got to be on the best quality fish that you can be on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How's the equipment for bow fishing? How's it going to be, you know, a little bit different from standard archery equipment? Okay, it's a very good question. I get that a lot. You know, some guys will use some standard type archery equipment. It just all depends on the bow. I know I, I've got one friend that he uses a bow. It's, it's a mission craze. It's a smaller axle to axle bow that actually has a lot of adjustability to it as far as draw length and weight adjustments. Uh, but it still it has a let off to it, just like it's a, it's a normal regular hunting bow, compound bow. Yeah. And me, I don't really want a bow the way I shoot. Uh, and we all typically shoot with fingers because you don't want to be shooting with a release because if you're bow fishing with a release, you're going to get into a bad habit because you're going to be punching that trigger all the time because you want to shoot quickly. And you don't want that taking over to your your regular compound hunting bow. That makes sense, yeah. That you would have beer because we don't want to be punching that trigger. So, we shoot fingers with our bows. Um, I shoot a bow that, it's an infinite draw bow. It's a 60-pound it's bow that, uh, it looks like a regular compound bow, but it doesn't, it doesn't really have any let off. And it, it builds that pressure up, or that weight, excuse me, the pounds. Uh, you get that pounds on the bow as soon as you start drawing. So if I 
have to draw the bow halfway back and make a snapshot on a fence quickly, I can do that. But I can also draw the bow back of, you know, a full, say with me, probably 29 inches to my anchor spot and then release. But it's a bow that's almost designed like the, uh, uh, you remember the Matthews Genesis that came out several years ago that all the kids, you know, the people would get their kids to shoot. I, I do. I still see some of those every once in a while. Stop it real quick. sure to put that in the in the show notes here at the in my description on the on this episode um does interlock do they have any specific broadheads for bow fishing or can are they pretty universal what kind of broadheads would you use for that Fish, that, that goes into that fish, and when that arrow pulls back on that fish, that grapple is going to 
arrow out backwards. The, the, uh, the grapple points uh, will actually fold all the way back over towards the tip to allow that, uh, that grapple to come all the way back out of the fish. So it's a lot different. There's no sharp blades on any of them. Uh, it's just for holding. It's for holding power. So sure. check them out. Interlock, interlock brown heads. You can see all the brown heads on there. You know, they've got some really innovative stuff that I think a lot of people don't know about. Uh, they've got one brown head called the Slice, and I'm going to use this here uh, while going out elk hunting in Colorado. The Slice is a three-blade fixed brown head, but imagine all of your blades are assembled on a, on a ferrule, okay, an outside ferrule. Okay. That ferrule slides, the ferrule slides down over the shaft, the shaft of the brown head, and then the tip screws on. So you can position that ferrule and those blades in any position you want. You can rotate them all the way around and position and fine-tune those where you need those, you know, to get them to fly right with your setup. If you need to align them with your fletching, you can do that after you've fletched all your arrows. So it's uh, very tunable. Uh, and also, like I said earlier, the new, the brand new Carnage, which is uh, has just come out. Uh, it's pretty innovative. It's an expandable broadhead that is a rear deploying broadhead. So it's, it has a collar on it that when that broadhead goes into the animal, that collar slides back and the blades deploy from the backside. So, uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, very innovative. Uh, I've not seen another one like it. So, and, and they got a lot of really good results out of it back in the fall with some animals that were taken during the testing period. That's Interlock Broadheads. That's on. Are they on Facebook and Instagram? I've seen them on Facebook. Yes. Okay, Facebook yes, and on Instagram. Instagram. Yep, on Instagram too. You can look up Interlock Brownheads uh, on social media. You can also look up uh, Interlock Bowfishing. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in the show notes as well. So uh, as we're we're coming coming to the end of of our time here, I wanted to take a little bit of time and ask you one last question that I plan on asking all my guests, my future guests as well at the end of our conversation, and that is, what does hunting mean to you? You know, some of the things that we talked about earlier, um, hunting to me is just about heritage and tradition. You know, just like I said, with me growing up here on the farm and me learning how to hunt from, you know, from my dad and, and my grandfather, which my grandfather was one of the best shots I've ever seen. Uh, I remember hearing stories about him when he was a kid he was 14, 15 years old. He would go to the local feed store and he would take a nickel and he would buy, I think he would buy maybe 10 rounds of 22 ammo. And he would take those 10 rounds of 22 ammo and go out hunting with his 22 Stevens crack shot that he had. And he would hunt rabbits and he would shoot those rabbits while he would find them and shoot them while they were sitting. He would skin and process those rabbits and then he would take one of the rabbits back down to the feed store and one of the old men that were hanging out in there, they would buy the rabbit off of him, give him a little money, and he would take that money and buy more ammunition and, and go do it all over again. That, you know, that's how he provided for his family. And, you know, they ate the rabbits and then plus he, he was able to take one of those and, and provide to, you know, to get some more ammunition to, you know, keep doing that. So, you know, that's what it's all about to me. And the older I've gotten, you know, to me, it used to be all about, you know, the biggest buck and, you know, 
how big of a deer I could find or how big of a deer, you know, I could kill. And, you know, I still like the challenge of going out after that mature animal and targeting a specific animal and, and, and just that hunt. And, you know, that just being out there in the turkey woods and hearing those turkeys respond and gobble to you. I mean, that's, that's what really gets me fired up about that. But, you know, I got to thinking about that question a little bit and something that came to mind, you know, and, and you hear people say it, you know, or, you know, that God-given right to do that. You know, I agree with that to some point, but to me it's more of a privilege just to be able to go out and and enjoy what we've been provided here. Absolutely. That's that's incredible. That's a incredible answer you just, you just gave there. That's that's a good one. I appreciate it. I thank you. I thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with me today. And I think we had a really good conversation here. I, I really appreciate you being able to do that with me. Appreciate the invite, man. I've enjoyed it. Uh, you know me. I could I could sit and talk about hunting or fishing or you know whatever for hours. <laughs> and hours. So, uh, but I, I really appreciate the opportunity, and, and you uh, you invite me on to do this. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, ha- we'll have to do it again sometime. That way we can get some more of those stories out of you. <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, maybe we can do something in the fall uh, after the uh, Colorado hunt. We can follow up on that. That'd be great. Uh, maybe, hopefully I'll have some good stories to tell you. There we go. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. I think we'll we'll get that planned for sure. All right. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. All right, me too.